Hey friends, today's episode is brought to you by Engageo, the leader in account-based marketing and sales with their all-in-one solution. Are you familiar with account-based marketing and sales? I mean, if you're selling to the enterprise, to big business, account-based strategies are the new wave of doing business. If you're selling to the enterprise, if you're dealing with multiple decision makers, if you need to close larger deals, then an account-based approach is a necessity. However, while there's a lot of talk out there about account-based marketing and sales, there's very little actionable advice on strategies and tactics you need to take. So our friends at Engageo asked dozens of independent sales and marketing experts, leaders in their fields, to contribute their recommendations about what you need to know to get started with it. And Engageo has compiled the collective wisdom of these experts into a most comprehensive guide that reveals everything you need to know about using account-based strategies to win bigger deals. It's called The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Sales Development. It's free, and you need it. So head over to Engageo.com forward slash Accelerate and grab your copy today. That's Engageo.com forward slash Accelerate. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to Accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 449 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Hey, a couple quick things before we begin the show. First, please be sure to go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Leave us a review. Love to hear from you about that. Also, if you have suggestions about topics or guests that you'd like me to feature on Accelerate, then please send me a note at acceleratefm at gmail.com. Friends, if you're also looking for new ideas about how to amp up your sales, get them back on track, then please go to accelerate.fm forward slash spark. Get my new free ebook, How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. It's based on my interviews with over 300 sales experts about how they would boost their sales. And I've compiled their recommendations into a practical step-by-step guide that you can use to accelerate your sales today. So don't wait. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash spark to get your free copy of How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. I'm excited to be joined on the show for a second time today by Michael Bungay-Stanier. He's a senior partner of Box of Crayons, a consulting company that helps organizations do less good work and more great work. And I love that. He's also the author of several books, including the best-selling Do More Great Work, and his latest, which is doing incredibly well and is one of my favorite books, The Coaching Habit, all about behavior change. You need to become an effective coach and about asking great questions I mean, it's, it's actually a great sales book as well. So we're going to talk about that on the show. Michael, welcome back. Just take a minute if you could and introduce yourself again for those who may have missed you the first time. Yeah, perfect. So our bigger purpose at Box of Crowns is to help people and organizations do less good work and more great work, just as you said. But what we've found is we have a really specific focus in what we offer to our customers, and that is practical tools so that busy managers can coach in 10 minutes or less. For us, coaching or being more coach-like is just a foundational skill and it can be applied for your team so if you're a sales manager it's a way of thinking about a great coaching com- a sales conversation mm-hmm. can be more coach-like it really just becomes one of those great leadership qualities and for us Coaching is not a particularly complex thing. If it boils down to a single behavior, it's how do you stay curious just a little bit longer? How do you rush to action and advice just a little bit slower? And of course, everybody who's listening to this who's a salesperson goes, oh man, how many times have I heard that? A thousand (laughs) times. It's like, stop beating me over the head with your product. Get interested in who I am and what I'm up against and what my challenge is. And then 
see if you can find a solution to help me with that. So what we've done in the book and in the work we do is kind of break coaching down and being curious down to seven really good questions and also a focus on habit change. How do you, because everybody knows this stuff in theory, but how do you in practice become more curious? Right. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I'll cop to having <laughs> appropriated your term about extending your curiosity into my presentation. Just FYI, I, I give you credit for it when I do it. I, but, I'll take it. But it's uh, that and asking your AWE question, your awe question, uh, great things. that, uh, And really, as you talked about, is, is the coaching habit. Mm-hmm. So for people listening to this, this is a book called The Coaching Habit. But when you go through it, as Michael said, it's really a nice little sales book because this is behaviors you should exhibit with your customers as well as with people that work with you and for you that you're coaching. Yeah. So, um, yeah, urge people to to read it. Now, gosh, there's been a truckload of, of books written about sales management in the last year. It seems to me the topic du jour, 2016, was the year of sales management books. And in there was always something about the value of coaching, right? Mm-hmm. So... But I thought, interestingly, in your book, you have this quote, the research, that you say that there's still little perceived value in the coaching being given. That that I think the study was that 23% of people being coached said that had little or no impact on their right. job performance. So No, it's worse than that. It's like... Uh, oh, it's the opposite. It's, like, it's the opposite. It's, it's, the opposite, it's, like, right. it's yeah. like 77% <laughs> of right. people sorry. thought it was little to no impact. Right, I inverted it's, that. And so, of that, 10% feel like it's having a negative, negative impact. impact. Right. It's like, ah, so, how, so, how well, bad must that be? <laughs> right, so how, why is that? I mean, why, why does this seem to be so difficult, even just the basics to master? Yeah. You know, there's probably about three or four answers to that. So I'm going to try and pick two of them. One of the answers is nobody's entirely clear what we're talking about when we say coaching. I mean, okay. there's all sorts of ways of going. This is what I think coaching means. And for many people, it's I just tell people what to do, but maybe in a slightly nicer way than right. command and control. They're like, oh, no, I'm Slightly less no. directive, right? <laughs> right. I'm like, it's being directive by asking a fake question, like, have you thought of, or did you try? You know, those aren't questions. That's advice with a question mark attached. Right. right. So I think part of it is around people are not entirely sure what we're even talking about when we say coaching. Um, and what I think that means is I think a lot of people aren't that great at the actual process of coaching. And like I say, simple, but difficult. You know, it's when somebody starts talking and this is what's going to happen. Somebody starts talking about what's going on for them mm-hmm. because you are a big-hearted, well-meaning person, desperate to add value, desperate to show how clever you are, desperate to be somebody who's worthy of being at the table. And you can guess that this is true whether you're a manager, a leader in a sales conversation. You're, you're After about 20 seconds, you've stopped talking and you're just waiting for that moment to interrupt. Now, look, I know most people have mastered the art of the fake listen, right? Because we've all been told active listening. So we're all like, you know, you tip your head to the side and you look interested, they're curious, that's slightly concerned. Sort of like your dog. Yeah, you you nod your head and you make small grunting noises to encourage them. Mm -hmm, Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But in your head, you're like, you've just stopped listening. You're just going, would you just stop talking? Because I've got something to tell you. (laughs) And actually, what we're trying to do is build that habit, that really kind of tactical response that allows people to stay curious just a little bit longer. Easier to say than to do, for sure. Well, but 
again, take this back into the context of a sales call, that you describe the opening sales call, right? So someone may come in, they've got their scripted question, they'll ask right. the scripted question, and they can't wait to either ask the next question or yeah, to add what they think is value to the conversation right. by talking about some features that they might have. You know, I'll just tell a quick anecdote. This is one of the ways I learned this lesson because it's taken me years to, to learn it. And uh, in my in my ill repute, my desperate youth, I was studying to be a lawyer, did a law degree. Um, I, for various reasons, not least I actually ended my law degree being sued by one of my law lecturers for defamation. I luckily <laughs> didn't pursue that particular route. But in one of the things we were doing, we were doing what's called a moot, and that's like a practice right, law practice card, right? piece. And... Um, I had uh, I we I was cross examining, and I was so confident because I had this question, and it was the opening question, and it did, it didn't matter what my witness was going to say if they said yes I had them if they said no I had them so I had my my conversation tree mapped out and honestly I was just going to like nobody would say it at the time but I was going to drop a mic and walk off stage right. I was that confident so. I get up, I'm wearing fake lawyer robes, so I'm probably holding them like this, and I go, witness, blah, blah, blah. If yes, I've got them. If no, I've got them. And they said, I don't know. <laughs> and I had nothing. Right. I had nothing because I pre-planned this conversation. Right. And, and they gave me the third option that I hadn't considered. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything in the moment. I panicked. I sat down. Out of all the teams competing in this mood – we were the only team that lost our case. Uh, is that bad? And, and I say that just because I think a lot of people are really hoping for a scripted conversation. You know, it's like, I'm going to ask this question. They're going to say this, which allows me to ask the next question, which they're going to say this, which then asks me to, to land the sale. And as everybody actually knows, because we've all been on the, the receiving end of that, that's just a deeply annoying experience. Oh, yeah. Because anybody with the modicum of experience goes, I know what you're doing here, and it's patronizing, and it's idiotic, and it's not working, and you've just lost a sale for treating me like a kind of a, an easily manipulated person. Part of what coaching is about is staying curious. But part of what coaching is about is actually seeing the person you're actually having a conversation with and being present with them and connecting with them at that level, because that's a level where good stuff is more likely to happen. And what that means is part of being curious is going, look, you want to have a portfolio of good questions. And, you know, in the book, we go, look, seven good questions will get you a long way down the path. But you do not want to have a script because as soon as you have a script, you're vulnerable to your client going off the script. You know the the Mike Tyson quote: "Everybody right. has, has a plan, a plan until to get they punched, punched in the, face. the mouth." Right. And exactly. So that's what's going to happen. You're going to get punched in the face. Well, and I think that's with a completely with, long rambly answer, I'm not even sure what your question was. <laughs> well, no, but I think that that as we look at coaching, I think one of the reasons that it's coming more to the fore is is you know we're seeing these multi generational workplaces that we yeah. exist in today, and maybe. Yeah, you know, take a guess based on how old you just said your wife was. That you and I are roughly in the same same cohort. So um, I, I look thirty years younger than you, but we are about the same age. I don't know how that's possible. I, I think was going to say the same thing to you, but anyway. So <laughs> I have very good lighting here and make a lot, a lot of makeup. I have to work on my lighting. So, so yeah, I, I, I was uh, talking to a 
a business partner that's that's going to be launching a podcast uh, direct to start the millennial generation and and they're looking at they're brainstorming topics for for uh, podcast episodes and one of them was why we hate our bosses so much <laughs> and it's sort of, how, how is that only going to be one episode <laughs> yeah that's right but i mean it's like, this it's like a series of 43 episodes <laughs> but you can see where that emanates from what you just talked oh, about the behaviors is you know here's here's you know, young people at the beginning of their career, desperately anxious to to find out what they should be doing right, how they can get better, you know, make a contribution, feel confident they can make a contribution. Right. And yeah, they get into one of these coaching sessions with a manager who, you know, it's all rote, it's all script. In fact, you know, even now, sometimes you hear companies as a conference uh, oh, last April, May, where, you know, sales managers saying, you know, we don't do coaching anymore. The other time, one-on-one meetings, those are those are gone. Yeah, and it's like, well, no wonder kids are frustrated. Right. I mean, it's. I mean, lots of us have experienced this, particularly with one emanation version of this is like the feedback sandwich. Like, everyone's heard of the feedback sandwich? You know, it's like you say something nice, then you tell them what you really want to tell them, which is they suck. <laughs> then you try and make them feel better by telling them something nice. So now everybody, everybody knows that formula. Right. There's all sorts of good brain science that says this is a terrible formula. It doesn't work. But everybody's like, oh, my goodness. And he's saying the nice thing. I'm just waiting here for the, the, the next shooter drop for him to tell me what's really going what's really going on. So really part of what you want to take away from this, and I'm just going to be agreeing violently with Andy here, which is the formulas almost never work. You know, formulas work in simple situations or even in complicated situations where it's linear and it's predictable, but in complex situations, which is what happens when you deal with other human beings, what you need are some principles and some core ways of acting that you can deploy as is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And you really want a portfolio of powerful actions rather than a script. Well, it seems like Getting back to a point you made earlier is is maybe we could clarify for people really what coaching is, right? Because I think yeah. so often we associate the word sort of in the you know naturally in the sports field, right? You look at the yep. cliches and and you see coaches that they call plays or they define right. strategies or but you know everything sort of revolves because we've got this sort of hero worship of coaches. You know everything revolves around the coach. So instead of everything revolving around the players, right? And I and I think sort of the counterpoint of that in my mind is uh, Steve Kerr, who's the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Right. And so what he's done is he's he's focused sort of four core values in his organization, exactly. yeah. which are joy, mindfulness, compassion, and competition. Right. And the, only the last one really yeah. sort of yeah. talks about basketball, right? Competition. Yeah. But but it's really the joy of competition. So it's right. joy, mindfulness, compassion, and none of that is directive. Right. And, you know, that's, I mean, here's, here's our equivalent of box of crayons. You know, we, we carry the same, uh, the same principle approached uh, to it. So you can well, see that for us, provoke impact, be generous, pursue elegance, have fun, nurture adult to adult relationships. Yeah, I love and that. So with my team, you know, what's really clear for anybody who kind of wears the box of crayons brand in some way, I say to them, if you make a decision that is based on those three principles, you, I have your back 100%. Uh, and it doesn't matter if the, if the decision goes south or we think of a better decision that could have been made a bit later on. If you're working off those core principles, then something good's going to happen and you're going to stay in integrity with who we're trying to be and what we're trying to be as an organization. 
So that really then, if we get back to say, okay, how do we define coaching? Yeah. So um, there are a lot of definitions of coaching in this mm-hmm. world. Um, I'm pretty sure that if you're trying to sell coaching to somebody, you have a trademark description of what coaching is. So that's thousands of different definitions right. of what coaching is. For me, you can talk about it in a, in a range of different ways. The behavior so what does this look like for you internally mm-hmm. is simply how do I stay curious a bit longer? Mm-hmm. How do I rush to action and advice just a little bit slower? Very simple, very behaviorally based. The impact of coaching, the way it kind of works is that good coaching generates new insight. So mm-hmm. new ahas about the situation and also perhaps about you. Mm-hmm. Insight leads to action. In other words, behavior change. You do something differently as a result of that initial insight. And then that behavior leads to increased positive impact. And hopefully that increased impact then leads back to new insights about self and about the situation. So that's kind of the, the way the mechanics of coaching, what the outcomes that you're, you're looking for. And in terms of a definition, like I say, there are many of them out there. But um, the one I kind of seems to have most resonance from most people because I've tested a bunch which ones mm. kind of ring true actually comes from John Whitmore and uh, I'm going to get the quote slightly wrong but he says it's about helping people to unlock their own potential right helping people to learn rather than teaching them right so you can see there's a number of things there in terms of metaphor and insight that, that really resonate with people one is around it's not just about you doing something to somebody else it's about enabling other people there's something about speaking to their potential. You know, how do they become more fulsome human beings? Right. Not just about getting stuff done. It's about growing the person. And the third is an insight about the difference between just t- teaching and learning. And in, at its crudest, teaching is telling them what to do. Learning them is helping them see the path so they figure the stuff out themselves. Well, I think that's one of the, the problems we have, and I see certainly in the sales field, is that, and I think in sort of corporate world in general, is there's this emphasis on, I I separate between training and education. Right. Right. Yeah. Is we're all about training, but we're not about yeah. educating. Right. And you know, it seems like if we just focus more on educating people, you know, rather than put people onto sales training, I've started a program with clients where yeah, I give them like a, a great books series and and they'll read basically a book a month. Now, these are people that haven't read a book a year, right? For the most part. Right. But it's not classroom training. They're going to read books. But here's the key is the client has to commit to spending mm-hmm. 15 minutes each workday to let people read during right. the workday. Right. And yeah, I mean, it seems like it's anathema to most people, right? How can we do that? Well, well, we'll, never I mean, sell it. we'll never sell anything if we do that. But it's like, come on, 15 minutes. Well, you know, there's um, in the world of training. I mean, I live in the world of training. That, right. That's what our company is. We're a training company. We train busy managers so they can coach in 10 minutes or less. And so I worry about this a lot. Now, what's, what's good for us, I mean, it's a classic sales thing, is that the standard of corporate training is so low that we look awesome compared to almost everybody <laughs> because so much training is just what everybody fears, you know, slow boring, theoretical, patronizing, somebody monologuing from the front of the room. None of that's great. And there's all sorts of things you can do with process to make that training engaging and practical and useful and right. uses the wisdom in the ro- in the room. But there's a formula out there in the world of training called sev- I mean, 70-20-10, and it says basically 70% of training comes on the job, 
20% comes from something else and 10% comes from in classroom training. Mm -hmm. And that's well and good, but only if you think people know how to teach people how to learn on the job. Right. And I don't think most people do. I don't think most people learn on the job. I think most people just do stuff on the job and they miss the learning opportunity. So actually, I mean, this is a bit of a segue, but right. the final question in the book, uh, you know, there's only seven questions, seven questions. <laughs> the, the, the seventh question is actually called the learning question. And so if, if the folks listening to this are kind of nodding their head going, well, that's, that's interesting. How do I help people learn on the job? The learning question can really help you with that. And the learning question is simply this. What was most useful or most valuable about this for you? And what it does is it causes a little disruption from the, the busy, busy, and just it causes people to reflect on what just happened mm -hmm. and to extract the value. Right. And of course, the benefit you get is that you get feedback based on this as well so that you actually learn yourself. So you can imagine, for instance, you know, and, and you, you'd be, I'd love to hear what you think about this as an idea. At the end of a sales meeting, rather than going, okay, I've got my actions and I'm out the door, or I've got my follow-up and I'm mm -hmm. out the door. Um, if you just stopped and asked the people you were talking to, out of, out of this whole meeting, what was most useful or most valuable for you? It'd be interesting to see what came back. You know, first of all, you're reframing that conversation as a valuable, useful conversation. Mm -hmm. You're not saying, was there anything useful or valuable here? You're going, what was most useful or valuable here? Yeah, I like that. So now they're seeing this as a valuable exchange. Right. They're, they're figuring out the value themselves. And so they're learning rather than you telling them what was valuable. And then you actually get feedback so that you go, oh, next sales call with these people or with other people, I should do more of that and less of the other stuff. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I, I asked the question more generally, right? Was this a value to you, right? But I don't, yeah. that's a great suggestion. Take it one step further and say, okay, what in particular was valuable to you here? Well, the, ch the challenge with was this a value to you is that it sets you up for a yes or a no answer. Yeah, I know. And, and if they go no, <laughs> then that's a downer for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it may be the truth, though. <laughs> and it may be the truth. Right. And the, but if you ask what was most useful or most valuable, a, they're going to extract some value from it. Right. But B, you can see the kind of the size of that nugget, whether you're going, man, that wasn't very much for an hour-long conversation. I need to do something differently next time. Right. Yeah. Well, and so think about this, people listening, and you know, from both a co coaching context as well as a sales context, that question is a great way to, to end. So I want to jump in in the time we had remaining to talk about uh, behavior change, because we're talking about oh. you know, we're making behavior change and turning behaviors into habits, which is yeah. a favorite topic of mine. Yeah. And again, you had some really, I've been studying a lot recently about habit change and so on, and some of the books you've recommended in your book I've read, and, and you know, interesting facts, and one you have in your book is that, you know, 45% of our sort of waking behavior is habitual. Yes. So it's, you think uh, about that. It's it's just completely quoted in uh, Charles Duhigg's book, and it's yeah. a study from Duke University. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it really aligns with what Kahneman talks about in his book, Thinking Fast mm -hmm. and Slow, System yep. One Thinking. You know, that's just the most efficient way for our brains and our bodies to operate is just beyond yeah. beyond autopilot. It's awesome, except when it's not. <laughs> right. It's awesome, except when it's not. Right. Yeah. So, as you said, you know, we're not, I quote from your book, not so much controlling how we act with our conscious mind as we are being driven by our unconscious mind. 
Yeah. And that's, yeah, nice. that's us and our customers or us and the people we're coaching is, is we tend to go with, with the easy route as Kahneman talked about in his book, because consciously that, thinking about something takes too much time. Yeah. Your, your, your brain's overriding modus operandi is what's the most efficient way of doing this. Right. Cause we're, we're trying to save energy. Cause if I save energy, I'm more likely to survive. Right. Yeah, so it's a deeply primitive way of operating. Which is why things become habits and they become so hard to change because we've been wired right. this way for eons to operate. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so how do I'll, we change I'll, that? I'll, I'll talk about how I think about uh, behavior change and the new sure. habit formula. From curious to know, because you, as you say, you've been doing some reading. Who who has stood out for you as, as interesting resources around behavior change and habit and, and styles of thinking? Um, I'd say Duhigg and, and Kahneman. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Duhigg concept of a cornerstone or a keystone habit, keystone yeah. habit, uh, you know, I think is, is a great metaphor for people thinking about the power of, of habits in their life, power of positive habits as well as negative habits in their life. And, and when you say cornerstone habit, I think or I know keystone, what you mean I mean, by that. But, uh, so, keystone, yeah. yeah. What, 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 what do you mean by that? Just so people who haven't come across oh, I'm sorry. this. <laughs> yeah. Now we're, now, now we're on your show. So, the, <laughs> the, uh, well, what he's talking about is that, you know, the keystone people, remember, it's, you know, if you're forming an arch, the old Roman arch, the keystone is the stone at the top where the two sides, the tension of the two sides resting, it's the keystone, keep the sides yeah. intact. And, and yeah. you know, you have structural integrity. And what he's saying is if you can develop these these keystone habits, is they basically almost like throwing a, a pebble into a pond is the ripple effect on everything else you do is so powerful yeah, yeah. that it's not even like you need to have, you know, master every possible good habit or behavior that exists is, is right. master one or two, and it makes such a huge difference. Like, for instance, a keystone habit might be getting up at five o'clock because when you do that, that triggers time for exercise, time for meditation, and um, time to drink more coffee <laughs> or something. <laughs> or something like that. Um, well, well, in a practical sense, in sales, what I'd say as a keystone yeah. habit is one that, that I stress and is, is responsiveness. Right. right. So customers come to you with a question, an inquiry, you know, a comment, something is, you know, they're looking to either make a decision and the least time they possible, least investment of time. We know that's what you know, from mm -hmm. Herbert Simon and other people, that this is what customers want to do. People make decisions, good decisions quickly with the least investment of their time. So if you can support that by being responsive. Right. And hyper-responsive, nice. meaning not just fast, but fast with value, something that's helping them, then that begins to ripple through everything you do. And if you commit right. yourself to that, suddenly yeah. you stand apart from your competition or from your peers. Yeah, very nice. That's the keystone habit. I agree. I like that. And it's something about, um, you know, Tim Ferriss talks a bit about this as well, which he, he talks about what's the lead domino? You know, mm -hmm. what's the thing that if you, you get that as the thing you master, a bunch of other dominoes fall as a result of that. Right. And it's, it's a similar, similar way of thinking. Right. You know, for us, so this is really important for people listening in because if you want to become a better sales manager, a better salesperson, what you need to do is change your behavior. Um, you can't change your behavior efficiently if you don't understand habits and the power of habits because mm -hmm. habits are the building blocks of behavior change. And there's a lot of guff out there in the world about habits, <laughs> you know, stuff that people just randomly made up and now they yep. are on the internet. Read some but of that. What's, 
Yeah, exactly. I have two. Um, but uh, as Andy's saying, there's a lot of good stuff that's coming out. And I'm the three people who I lean on most. Mm. Um, Charles Duhigg, The Power right. of Habit, kind of the seminal book in, in this in this space. Um, BJ Fogg, Fog, right? Tiny, tiny Habits. Tinyhabits.com, great website for people to check out, lots of free resources there. And a, a bit kind of left-wing is, uh, or kind of off-center is a guy called Leo Babauta. Right. Uh, Zenhabits.net, a book of the same, but lots of thoughtfulness about building better, healthier habits. And... What we've done is because, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants here is we've gone, look, here's our formula for building a better habit. Doesn't take in everything as smart as Duhigg and Fogg and others have talked about, but it's a really good simplified approach to this. And it's got a three parts to it. Part one is to say when this happens, and that's when you identify the context, the trigger, the situation mm -hmm. that occurs that you're looking to, to shift in terms of how you behave there. So part one, when this happens. Part two, instead of, this is when you define and you kind of look hard at the bad habit or the old way of behaving that's no longer serving you. Right. And part three is when you say, I will, and that's when you define a habit that you can do in 60 seconds or less. You know, that's a BJ Fogg insight, right, which one is- the tiny habits, right. Yeah, less than a minute is much more likely to get accomplished. So for instance, what does that look like in reality? When I'm having a sales meeting and the client says, so tell me what you got. <laughs> Such a tempting question, isn't it? <laughs> so that's the, that's the when this happens, the right. context. And then it's like instead of. So instead of taking the bait and spending the first 25 minutes explaining my portfolio of products and services that I'm going to, to offer them. Right. Because, you know, you feel good. They look like they're enjoying it. It's, it's a downhill sales conversation at this moment. Right. You're out the so door for good the, after that. Right. So what's the, what's the new habit? Well, there could be any number that you choose, but I might say, I'm going to ask, I'm going to say this phrase. I'd love to tell you about my products and services, but before I do, just out of curiosity, what's the real challenge here for you about whatever their context mm -hmm. is? And what that is, is that something that, a question that I can ask in 60 seconds. And what I've done is I've like, I primed myself to recognize the thing that suckers me in every time that derails a good sales conversation. And I'm building a habit that allows me to stay curious a bit longer. So when they go, hey, Michael, tell me about what you sell at Box of Crayons. Instead of going, yeah, let me tell you about our awesome coaching programs, I will say, look, I'd love to tell you about our coaching programs, and I will. But before I do, what's the challenge you're facing? What's the real challenge around practical coaching for your busy managers? Right. And hopefully that's going to be a better conversation. It's, I think it will be most times, and it's a habit that I'd be looking to, to reinforce in me and my sales team. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you brought that up as an example because I – I have a habit I teach people is I call it the ask, don't tell habit yeah. <laughs> is just in those situations is, yeah, don't tell, ask a question instead. Yeah. And, and for people listening, you know, I, I talk about a, you know, you need to be armed with questions, you know, don't, don't put yourself in the situation. One of your habits isn't that you, uh, the bad habit is that you think you can make everything up on the spot and sales right. is not about improvisation. It's about preparation. <laughs> right. So if you want to have good spontaneous conversations, it starts from being prepared. Oh, I totally and agree. so, yeah, I talk about a question, which is what I call a killer question. Um, and it's, you know, asking the customer something about their business that they should know, but don't. Right. 
And so if you can say, as you said, preface that, I'd love to tell you about what we do, but before I do that, let me ask this question. Oh, then you start a conversation. Exactly. And what you do is you give them the power. And this is the subtlety of this and of coaching in general, which is when you're in advice giving, solution telling, uh, answer providing mode, you have the high status in the relationship because you've got the answers, you're in control, you've got the stage, you're, you know what's happening. And what happens is, ironically, if you have high status, the other person has low status. And what mm-hmm. neuroscience tells us is if they have low status, it is, it is a disengaging place to be. Right. So even though they've said, hey, tell us what you've got, and you start the spiel, they're like, I'm already bored. Right. <laughs> I'm already disengaging from right. this because you don't really get what I'm about. Um, so they, they, they suck you in. They don't mean to, but they do. Yeah. Yeah. And a better, I think people need salespeople and people listening and coaches as well. Is that you need to understand this if you like, um, you know, what Cialdini says about establishing influence using authority is you can better establish your authority through great questions than right. demonstrating how much you know. Right. You show up with authority. You've got a you got a you got a little business card that says I'm the blah 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 box of crayons. You've got you got some you got a deck or a collateral or a widget to show them. That comes that means you've got authority. Right. So you've got that already. Your job is to actually figure out how much of your authority you can give away while still maintaining the amount you need to be credible in that conversation. No, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So seeding control back to the customer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a kind of related story. You know, when I get introduced as a keynote speaker, I know my job is to have an engaged audience. I know that the typical introduction for a keynote speaker does the opposite. Because what, what does a typical introduction do? Here's Michael. He has climbed Everest on his hands. He has. 18 degrees. He was a Rhodes Scholar not once, but four times. Right. He speaks his 10 right languages. Hand, his right arm is actually plated in gold. You know, he, and it's, it's just this long thing. So is his and own it's clothes. Just, it, it's <laughs> simultaneously boring and intimidating. And you've and your audience is, is less with you rather than more with you at the end of it. So what do you do? So when, I, when, I introduce my, when I have somebody introduce me, I give them a set introduction. And it's very clear. It's like, look, Michael was this, that, and the other. And I've got a few kind of accolades that I can boast about. And they say, and Michael was sued leaving his law school when he was graduating from law school. He was banned from his high school reunion for the balloon incident. Uh, The first book he ever wrote was called The Mail Delivery, and it was a Mills and Boone short story. There's a bunch of little things in there that just prick the balloon a little bit. That make people laugh at me or hopefully with me. Right. And actually that makes them on my side. Now I, I have authority. I'm the keynote speaker. They're paying me a whack of money. I'm on the stage. I'm higher than everybody else. I have the microphone. So I've got all the authority I need. I'm trying to diminish some of that because if I lessen my status, I raise the audience's status, which makes them more engaged and more interested in who I am. Yeah. I mean, humility is very powerful. And I am awesome at humility. I mean, probably the best in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he says, with a touch of humility. <laughs> it's an attempt at humor. Yeah. Right. 
Okay. Well, it sounds very Trumpian. So, um, <laughs> so uh, Michael, last segment of the show, I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. You've been here before, so I've got new questions for you. Oh, okay. I'm on my toes. You're on your toes. Okay. So these yeah. are, you'll pass, I'm sure, flying colors. So not that we grade them, but if we do, we'd grade, oh them, on, God, we'd grade them on a now, curve. So Apparently it's now a pass-fail thing. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, now I'm under right. pressure. <laughs> so first question is, in your mind, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think both are relatively easy with the right process. Um, it's it's easy to do both of those really badly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and make a salesperson despair. Right. And make a non-salesperson despair. Right. Um, and it's it's not easy, but, you know, design is everything. You know, when you think about training, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the arc, thinking about how you reinforce learning, thinking about how you make it experiential, right. thinking about how you help them figure it out themselves rather than you telling them. Right. There's a bunch of good disciplines to good training that allow good teaching to happen. And I think if you understand the principles and the structure of what great adult learning is, mm-hmm. both of those things are accomplished easily enough, not easily, but uh, achievable. Achievable. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, what non-business book would you recommend that every salesperson and sales manager read? Uh, well, it's. it's uh, I mean, I my background is actually literature, so I have a master's degree in oh, modern good. literature. So, what literature <laughs> would you recommend? So, I I have a pretty, and I'm married to a children's librarian, so I read I have this weirdly eclectic uh, reading. You know, it's partially um, uh, you know, young adult, even though I don't have kids of my own. Right. I read a lot of kind of young adult literature designed for fourteen year old girls and stuff, which is fantastic. A lot of it. Um, I read in science. I read in business. Um, so a good book that I've read recently, um, you know, one that I think is pretty cool um, is, is a couple of books. It's called um, uh, by Hilary Mantel, mm-hmm. and uh, the first book is called Wolf, Wolf Hall, Hall. Yeah, great and book. the second one is called Bringing Up the Bodies. Yep. And it's about Thomas Cromwell, who was Henry VIII's right-hand man. At that time, about when uh, Henry VIII was on the throne and killing wives left, right, and center. And it's beautifully written. It really gives such an interesting insight about power, manipulation, and class. Um, it brings mm-hmm. this kind of whole era to life. And if you're not up for reading the books, which aren't tiny, there's actually a great uh, PBS, I think it is, yeah. uh, series uh, with uh, Mark Rylance as, right. the, as as Thomas Cromwell, which is fantastic. So if you're not if you're not up for the books, watch the watch the series called Wolf Hall, yeah. and you'll enjoy that. Yeah, no, it's a great book. I read both those. Really enjoyed it. Um, so if you could change one thing about your business self, what would it be? Well, I can tell you the stuff I'm working on now. So rather than being a fantasy, mm-hmm. I can tell you what I'm actually trying to do better. Um, I'm so my chief of operations retired two and a half weeks ago, and I've lent on her as our people person for the last three, five years. Mm-hmm. You know, I basically do my stuff. I'm, I'm perfectly pleasant with all the people on our team, but I haven't had to really actively manage many of them. I've had 
her managing them and her managing me and we've kind of kept me away from meddling. Right. With her moving on, you know, we played with, uh, toyed with replacing her for a while, but it, it turned out that we didn't think we had to do that and we wanted to do a better job at pushing or granting or just enabling responsibility at the place it takes place. I mean, it's not quite um, a holacracy, you mm. know, the Zappos approach. Right. It's, it's really um, – do you know uh, Ricardo Semler? Have you come across him before, the Brazilian maverick? No. No. So 20 years ago, 30 years ago, he ran an industrial design company in Brazil and was really cutting edge in terms of very, very radical management tools where it's all about trust people, right. give them autonomy, and they'll do good for you. So kind of influenced by that. So I'm just learning again how to be a manager that walks that line between not abandoning people, going, you know, I gave you a brief three months ago, or check in in three months, and I hope you haven't disappointed me, and micromanaging people going, well, this is how I do it. And right. by the way, I'm the founder, so I'm awesome. <laughs> you know, there's that piece around giving autonomy, providing a place of safety, pushing people right. to to be their best, um, and and being a facilitator and a delegator. So that's what I'm working on. Okay. All right. I like it. So last question for you. Do you, what, do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom you live by? I have a few, um, you know, which I keep kind of scattered around the place. Um, if you're going to try, go all the way. Otherwise, don't even start. Charles Bukowski. Exactly. Spilt with red wine spilt all over it. Um, more red wine spilt all over that. Focus means saying no to the hundreds of other good ideas there are that there are. Steve Jobs. Perfect. I've read that one. I'm going to find one other quote for you. So I'll be right back. Okay. And it's over on my other desk. All right, people, <laughs> our listeners have hung on to the end of the show. We've got one more quote coming from Michael. Here we go. Perfect. Oh, it's it's framed. Let's see. It's framed. That's right. Don't undertake a project unless it is manifestly important and nearly impossible. Edward Land. Okay. So he was the uh, inventor or the creator of Polaroid. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there you go. Those are three things that I keep nearby and I keep looking at and I keep going. I should I should do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, those are good ones. I like those. Yeah, I think everybody should have. I mean, hopefully, people have gotten the, the clue. Is you know, we talk about affirmations, we talk about quotes. I mean, they're important. You know, we can all take inspiration, even if we see it. Day after yep. day, or in my case, exactly. decade after decade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's um, and you know, and in part, the secret is to keep seeing them because they can become. You know, it's like when people laminate their values and put them on the wall. You know, they become wallpaper. You stop seeing them. Right. So it's like, how do you keep engaging in these core values? How do you keep talking about them? How do you keep reinventing them and re-encountering them? so that they challenge you with where you're at now, not where you were a year ago or three years ago or decades ago like you. Yeah. Well, mine is <laughs> – I haven't really shared with people. Mine is is a quote from Paul Tillich, who was an American theologian, uh, philosopher. And I'd seen it in a magazine and cut it out, and <laughs> I've had it ever since. I came across the clipping – I've had it for a long time, decades. And the quote is, the awareness of the ambiguity of one's highest achievements – as well as one's deepest failures, is a definite symptom of maturity. Oh, I love that. So that's it's, a, yeah. That's, that's, that's very nuanced, right? It, yeah. it, speaks, it speaks to the messiness of life. Right. And no matter how good or how bad it gets, you know, it's not that good and it's not that bad. 
Right. You know, the, the related one that I think of is, is it Solomon, the, the, the advisor, the jester to Solomon, who, and, or the king perhaps he wanted, when, when things were really good, he didn't want to remember his humble beginnings. When things were really bad, he didn't want to forget that, you know, that the sun will rise again. Right. So he wanted some way of, of managing all of that. And uh, the advisor gave him a ring that simply said, this too will pass. Right. Yep. Yeah. It, All right. It, it ebbs, it flows. It ebbs, it flows. Well, Michael, it's just, been great. just like this podcast. Just I have, like this I have podcast. A feeling this podcast is ebbing. We're ebbing right now. So, <laughs> uh, Michael's been great talking to you again. And Michael. so, tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Sure. So, if you're interested in the book, and honestly, the book's been going really great. Well, you know, it's been fantastic how well it's been doing. So, Over 100,000 copies sold. Yeah, so it's less than a year old, 100,000 copies sold, Wall Street Journal bestseller. It's been the number one coaching book on Amazon for 95% of the last year, if not more. So if you're interested in looking at that, thecoachinghabit.com, there's downloadable chapters and resources and all sorts of stuff there. So you don't even have to buy the book. You can just pull in a lot of the wisdom. And if you're interested in our actual programs, practical coaching skills for busy managers, and we work typically inside organizations, then box of crayons, all one word, dot biz, B-I-Z, or B-I-Z, depending on where you are in this world. If you're in Canada, that's a Z. All right. So as Michael or Australia or, or the Australia, UK right, right. or any other English the speaking common, country. The Commonwealth, right. <laughs> all right. Exactly. <laughs> Michael, thanks again. And friends, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that, make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with my guests, like my guest today, Michael Stanier, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 